0: Welcome to House of Herders podcast, discussing all things dog, from training to life experience. Your hosts today are Alana and Gemma.
1: Let's get started. Welcome back. This is part two of Gemma and I's discussion on working with reactivity. We're still going to have a little bit of a chat with regards to stooge sessions, but we're also going to talk about how we like to develop our training into the real world and how we realistically and idealistically would love things to progress. What has been most useful when working with reactive dogs is taking other skills and applying them with the dog in the environment. So if every time you're out with your client, you're looking for dogs. You know, you're walking around like a community centre or you're walking around a woodland and you're literally searching for shit for them to react to. So you can deal with and show the owner how to phase down that reaction and not experience that reaction. When really you could be doing scent work in a woodland and if a dog approaches, you deal with that and then you go back to your task. So one of one of my favourite things to work on with dogs is finding another skill. Be it a sport, be it just something that they want to do. And making that their main focus. And I think this is where some people do find that this isn't the right kind of training for them because they don't want to do that with their dog. I'm not saying that you should be training other sports with your dogs because you've got a shit relationship. That's really not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is sometimes giving your dog a job is going to make the reactivity no longer the job, especially when it's not fear-based.
0: For those clients who you said, feel like every session has to be about the reactivity and has to be sort of going through that boiling point scenario. That must be really hard for them because you're going to every situ- every training session and seeing your dog get to that boiling point and putting them through that and putting yourself through that too. And to train like that must be really quite hard. And I know it is because that's one of the mistakes that I made with Travis with one of my own dogs, was that for a while when I thought I had to make every walk that we did a training session and a training session about or based around reactivity. And so every walk became absolutely miserable because every time we went for a walk, we were aiming to find a trigger. And when we did find a trigger, it was difficult and it was hard. And I think, like you say, it's just not always going to be the best way to train. And it was exactly like you said, when I realised maybe we should be doing other stuff too. And when I started getting into sports or just training other behaviours with my dog or scent work, as you say, things like that. It was when I started doing that on walks, bringing it out and about, not just seeing it as a separate training scenario that's when I started to notice a difference. And I think for owners as well, like you said, if you're doing part of your session as something like you're going to do a little bit of a scent work exercise, or no, know we've been doing some tracking with some clients as well, that sort of thing. And then you just deal with the scenarios that come up. If that's like a dog running towards you or even just dogs being in the vicinity, that's going to feel a lot less stressful for the owner to like spending that hour or two hours or however long they're with you it's not going to feel like they're on high alert and on tenterhooks the whole time just waiting for an explosive reaction to happen
1: exactly and then it's almost like if the dog doesn't react owners are like oh well that one just wasn't the right one and you're like no 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 This is how it works. Like Your dog (laughs) sees their walks as an opportunity to be reactive, especially with the dogs that we're talking about here. We're not talking about fearful dogs. We're talking about the dogs that are going out to be reactive. Um, It's not a case of, oh, yeah, that dog just wasn't a trigger. It's a fact of, no, actually, you've employed your dog somewhere else and you're now reaping the benefits of that. Um, I think it was last week I was out on a session with a Ridgeback, funnily enough, And she's absolutely beautiful. We've done a lot of work together. And we recently started tracking. So we're on our third session now with tracking. Now with her having her nose down, we need that in tracking because that's the whole point in tracking. It's not about visually looking for the articles. It's about following that scent. However, by the dog allowing themselves to follow that scent, they're making themselves so vulnerable to the environment. Because they're not engaging in it anymore. And I think when you're constantly going out to work with your dog in situations where your dogs, you know, you're looking for things that they're going to react to, they develop a real sensitization to every fucking space you take them to. Because you're like, right, where's the dog? This is what here we do. We're here and we're going to look at dogs and we're going to bark at them and we're going to get sweets. Like That's what they start to think the whole walk's about and it's not. So with her, with the tracking, it was a huge Huge thing for her. We were lucky enough that we could pick a whole new environment to start that training in. And we're on our third session, and you know, Gemma, she loves it. She gets to the car park and she's fucking buzzing. She's not looking for things to bark at. She's looking for me to bark at me. Says, say let's go train." Whereas before, she would see me and didn't want me to come near the car because she knew that we were just going to be going and looking for dogs and it was going to be super stressful. Now she's just so excited that we're going to do something. And at our last session, we were just finished up. I think we we're on like our second last track. And a guy walked up the path. So there's was like our field, there's a river, then there's a wee path. You can easily jump the river. And he had a Malinois. Um, I don't think I'm saying that right. Anyway, I'm just going to call it a um, The guy had a Mally and are walking up the path. And the dog stopped and stared at us because she's like, what are you doing? And the dog that we were working with looked up and she's like, what the fuck is this dog here for? Because it's the first time she's actually seen another dog in the environment and they stared at her. We've had people walking by and she's not bothered, but this is the first time my dog's actually been very interested. And do you know what she did? She didn't actually bark or lunge like she normally would. She looked at us like, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Like, this dog shouldn't be here. So... I offered for her to go back onto the track and she didn't feel comfortable, which I was fine with because I was like, you know what? She doesn't want to risk taking her eyes off the ball because the dog, you know, how they look, they've got their sticky up ears, kind of like they were collies, like they're quite intense. So instead we just started asking for tricks. So we asked for like hand touches, we asked for into the sides, we asked for peekaboos. We didn't ask for any jumps or anything because we didn't want the dog to come over because it looked like we are having fun. We just started to engage her in other behaviours and she would still check to see if that dog was there. But otherwise she was like, I'm, I'm keen to do what you're doing. And she fully engaged with us. There was absolutely no reaction. And this dog has a huge history of being extremely reactive to other dogs. Being a ridgeback, she's, her garden tendencies are just so intense. So, so intense. Um, and this is one of the most beautiful sessions, I think, our owners have ever had because there was no overboiling. we had spent so much time working on the track and we had people passes on the path we had had cars and buses go by we had, had quite a few walkers it was like um a strike day so there was quite a lot of people about which isn't the norm for that location and then we had a dog and she coped perfectly fine and sees the dog ran off with the owner she gave it a bit of a wish she's like yeah you run off you fucking run And then straight back to our track, found our articles, finished on a high. It was really nice. And the owners were like, this is so different to constantly going out to work on the overboil point. And I have to agree, it's just so much more enjoyable. But I think the issue that we have as trainers is a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of the time, I think it takes sometimes too many sessions of just working on the boiling point for owners to finally accept a change. For them to finally go, yeah, I want a break from this, let's do something else. So I always do try as early on as I can to introduce sports, like a bit of scent work. As I say, I love tracking, especially for dogs that are very, very over-aroused in an environment and very over-sensitised in an environment. I find tracking one of the best ones to really bring them down. But I think any sort of sport that you can do that your dog enjoys, and that's a key point your dog and you both enjoy, it can just change the whole outlook of the whole entire session. But a lot of people don't realise that and you think, oh, we're wasting time. We're wasting time tracking when we could be working on dogs and solving this reactivity, not realising the tracking is actually what's solving the reactivity.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think like ha- having met that dog that you're talking about and knowing where they've come from, like that's a huge difference. Um, and imagining that dog being able to cope in that environment is like wow. And I think you're right. I think for clients, they want to think that what they're doing is having a direct impact on their dog's behaviour, and I think. For us as trainers, it's really easy to see how something like tracking or other sports can have an impact on behaviour, like you say, like when something like that crops up in a session. But I think possibly for your average dog owner, they maybe don't make that connection, do they? And I think sometimes it can maybe come from a place of like, it's not not just that they want to feel like they're getting their money's worth and they want to feel like they're really head on tackling the situation I think sometimes as well people are just looking for really tangible things that they can then work on and I think if it's something like a if we call it a sport even the fact that we call it that I think for some owners that kind of go they go oh like oh we, we don't do that or we we're not into that and I think it sometimes it might put them off in that way and I think it's Good to know that something that you do in your training sessions you can take away and do it on your own and that's really important I think for cases like that where they've had a lovely session, they've really enjoyed it, their dog's done brilliantly to know that actually see when you're out on your walks with your dog you can do this stuff on your own you don't need us there you don't need a trainer with you obviously if you want to get into like competitive sports and things like that then it might be a wee bit different but if you're just doing things like that to to help with your training with your dog it's definitely something you can take out on walks and I think some people just maybe see that as a hard thing to do and I guess it's like historically how people have viewed walking their dogs and it's like, oh, just something you have to do. You've got to get the dog out for a walk and that's a 15 minute stomp around the local neighborhood or if you go into the woods. So we need to be out for a certain length of time and we need to do this and that. And I think that ability to actually just take a step back and get a little bit creative with what you do on your walks is hard to do when you've, you're dealing with a reactive dog I think you've probably spent so long managing your walks in terms of where you go, how likely you are to bump into people Um, so they probably feel like walks with their dogs are really restrictive and have lots of these unwritten rules and things that they can and can't do so then when we suggest doing something that's maybe a little bit out of the ordinary it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that
1: most definitely. And I think as well, when you add in something fun like tracking or scent work or obedience, what it does do is it takes the owner's focus off the reactivity as well. So that's mm-hmm. the one big thing that I've really noticed is when the owners are dead involved in the sport, everything's chill, we're having a great session, then a dog appears, it's, there's not enough time to think about it. So there's not enough mm-hmm. time to think, fuck what they do if a dog comes because they're just so busy. Focusing on making sure their dog's doing well and that they're having fun and everyone's doing great. That when that dog does turn up, they, they look at you and are like, what are I do? And you're like, X, Y, Z. And then the situation is completely averted nine out of ten times. The owner's left in a total high and they're like, actually, I could I could do that myself. And they start to really build and bridge their confidence from there. The dog's a lot more calmer overall because they're like, cool, you handled that really nicely, human. And you go right back. And I think what you're saying about the dog walks is so important. Is I think people often forget that their pet dog isn't actually a pet. Or their lineage isn't a pet. So fair enough if you've got like a shih tzu. Like fair enough. But if you've got a border collie. Like that's not a pet. No matter how many generations of pet collie you buy from still the same genetics still the same mix and yeah your dog might be slightly less sound sensitive they might not chase lorries but they're still a working breed and they still need to do things so if you don't give them a job to do they're going to find a job to do and very often when dogs become self-employed they very rarely pick jobs that us humans like like they don't choose to go and work in a supermarket or they don't choose to go to the gym Like, they choose to do something that we find quite offensive, which is normally barking and lunging and being super responsive to the environment. Whereas when you actually start to give them a job to do on those walks, like, it's like spaniels that carry things. Instead of running about chasing stuff and running through every bramble, they'll carry a tennis ball or they'll carry a stick or they'll find a good stick. And I think when you actively employ your dog, the results are just so telling And as you say, it doesn't come down to, you know, your dog has issues because your relationship shit. It comes down to your dog has issues because they're unemployed and they don't know what else to do in that situation. They have all these feelings and all these emotions because they've got nothing else going on. I think, like we've, as we spoke
0: about, it's not maybe necessarily always a relationship issue or even so much a training issue, but just how that dog feels in that situation and... I think if we relate it without anthropomorphizing, if you relate it to us as a human, if you feel kind of listless and you don't really know what you're doing and restless, I guess you're probably more likely to be hypersensitive to what's going on around you. Whereas if you're engaged in a task, I'm probably not the only one who's ever done this. Like If you're really engrossed in a crossword or a book or a jigsaw, I don't, whatever people do um, to entertain themselves, things can happen around you and you don't even notice them happening because you're so busy with that thing. And I think that's definitely something that happens with dogs. Um, I know, it's a, especially with one of my own, with Travis, for me, sniffing was a huge thing. So if I do a little bit of scent work with him or lay down a track or even just throw a treat into a pile of leaves and ask him to find it, he finds that so much fun and so rewarding and he really gets engrossed in it that a dog could walk right past him. And not that he wouldn't notice, of course he would notice, he'd be able to smell it and hear it and all of that, but he wouldn't care because he's engrossed in what he's doing. And it's like you say, I think a lot of dogs need something like that to to help get their minds focused elsewhere sometimes.
1: Totally. And I think it is a case of like, working with the activity isn't just working with the reactions, it's working with the whole entire picture and looking at what you can improve all round. And I think once you start to introduce those more more busy things into the dog's life, you do start to see the behaviour change that comes with it. And then if that still leaves you with a slight frustration at dogs being far away, you can then work through that and you can use... Some of those skills that you've built through your sport in order to deal with the situation. And as you see, it does get to a point that on your training sessions, it should become about what you're achieving, not about how you're just dealing with that reaction. So when I'm training, the kind of things that I like to use is I like to use tracking, as we've already discussed. I like to use scent work. I like to use sheet balls for the collies. And I also like to use like little bits of obedience. And I'm not going to lie, like I am not that good at obedience i wish i was really good at it so i'm always like i always say to people i'm like if you want to compete i am not the person for that but if you want to just have some fun like i can do that (laughs) i can teach you tricks but i'm not a good enough obedience instructor at all but it doesn't mean i can't teach a dog how to heal it doesn't mean i can't teach a dog how to do certain positions it just means that if you're ever going to compete please do not please do not take these behaviours to competition. (laughs) 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 What behaviours have you found are quite... What kind of things have you found are really good when you're working with dogs instead of just working with the reactions?
0: I'm going to make a lot of dog trainers groan and say... Uh tennis
1: ball (laughs) (laughs) oh you bad person i know it's
0: shocking actually to be fair i don't really use tennis balls because of the whole grinding down the teeth thing so um those rubber balls that you get i really like so um obviously i don't do relentless ball chucking um but for a dog like travis who came to me at 10 months already ingrained ball obsessed um Similar to, I think, what you experienced, Lana, where you had people say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be using balls. Get rid of all the balls out of your house. It's making things worse. Um, I believed that for a while. Um, It's a lie. It's a (laughs) lie. It's a total lie. (laughs) And don't get me wrong. Travis does enjoy chasing a ball. um, Or does he? That's another podcast episode for another day. (laughs) But what he enjoys even more is, um, like, jumping to, to catch a ball. He loves nothing more than jumping up in the air. If I throw a ball just in a sort of arch, he loves nothing more than jumping up and doing funny twists in the air. He really enjoys that. And it's something that I can do with him. It doesn't create much distance. I'm not throwing the ball miles away from me for him to chase, which then is I guess less control or makes him further away. It's something I can do that keeps him really close by and he just loves it. And his focus is 100% on that ball and again he can have a dog be in really close vicinity to him and he does not bat an eyelid or take his eye off that ball. Um, other things like he loves a pause up so he likes gaining height um so if there's some logs nearby or tree stumps or anything like that um i use that quite a lot even a banking so there's a walk that we like to do that has quite a steep grass bank next to it um and i will sometimes if i see a dog up ahead um or a person that i think might um one of my dogs might take offence too, <laughs> then I'll give I'll say up up and they'll go up onto there and they'll quite happily sit there um and we'll engage in some, some treat throwing or something like that. So and all the the other things that you talked about, we like to do a wee bit of scent work, a wee bit of um tracking sometimes and um positions like into the side. Cooper loves a middle. Cooper will give me a middle, even when I've not asked for it. So it's great.
1: (laughs) Do you not think as well that when you start to use these other behaviours with your dog, they start to offer them in situations? So So, since Holly came back on walks, so as I mentioned before, Holly was off walks for a really long time. One of the things that she'll now do when there's maybe people approaching or kids especially approaching, is she'll run into a -a peekaboo. She'll run into Mm -hmm. a middle position and she'll just stand there and like really push against you and that's her letting me know i am not comfortable i do not like what's happening here like you need to deal with it and for me that is really useful because it stops her from going over threshold because she's offering like she's communicating with me that she can't cope with it whereas with oscar he's like i'm just going to stop and stare and deal with whatever may come my way but whereas with holly's is a more fear-based behavior she is like protect me, and that's fine. As soon as she offers that, I'm like, right, okay, like we'll deal with this appropriately. And um, sometimes with Holly, it's a case of putting her in a sick state and actually walking out and being like, your dog can't come near us. Like, no. So Holly has a lot of pain issues. Um, I think it's slightly, I don't think I did touch on it with Amy. Um, but much like her Ronnie, um, Holly has a lot of issues with her back. So sometimes the thought of a dog jumping on her is just, it honestly makes me feel sick. Um, Obviously we've discussed that in the past, how we deal with those sorts of people. But in general, when it does come to Holly, for example, I will sometimes put her in a sit stay at the side of the path and I'll commit and I'll be like, Your dog can't come near me. And I'll let just take the dog by the collar and be like off, like go away. And I don't feel like a bad person for doing that, because if that dog jumped on her or got in her face, she's not going to be polite back, and that's fair. And I don't want her to then not want to go on walks because they're scary or bad things happen. When realistically a dog should be able to read the signals that she's offering that she doesn't want to she doesn't want to play and she's very clear to that dog like I don't want you near me and I think that when dogs lack the skill set to read that information from another dog then it is my place to be like away oh, goodbye <laughs> like what the hell we actually had a walk um, a few weeks ago it's quite funny I brought it up with another dog trainer as well and we're walking in quite a secluded location and we had met a family we were walking up behind us and they had like a little doodle and it was very sweet it didn't come anywhere near us but we kind of hit a point in the path holly's back was really sore and you could tell she was like she was done She was like i want to go home so as we turned around um she went and done a peekaboo. So I said to my husband, I was like, We'll take them off the path. Like, you just make sure that dog doesn't come down. I'll just take all the dogs because Oscar's been very protective of Holly recently. So I took the dogs into the trees and just was playing with them in the trees. I was like, hiding food and whatever. And they were fine. They, they knew the dog was coming, weren't bothered. And the wee dog ran down the bank in, to come and get us. Even though my husband was standing there really clearly to the owner, like, No, your dog, you know, my dog's like, What, to see your dog. they're like, But why not? Musman's like, he totally wasn't prepared, he was like, I don't know. <laughs> he was <laughs> like, um, because Holly's not well, like, can you just get your dog? And he had to physically come and like manoeuvre their dog because they wouldn't even recall it, because they're like, well, that's not my problem, my dog's friendly. And Jamie's like, Well, so is mine actually. Like Holly's super sociable, but she's also ancient and she's really uncomfortable. And we, we don't need to explain to people. She's sore. The boys are going to be very protective you shouldn't have to explain that so eventually Mm. we shoot this little doodle away and off it ran and the owners were obviously very confused by our behavior at a very secluded walk i should say carried on down the path with them all off leash and then we noticed up ahead like a big like american bully so we recalled the guy recalled his dog he got his dog back before mines had recalled put them both on leash we set off the path again He drew level with us and just had like a normal conversation. He just like asked us about the walk, asked us how our dogs were, had a wee bit of chat about his. He's very proud of how handsome his dog was. My husband just said, oh, you know, our dog's older. And he's like, oh, the boys will be dead protective. And it was just Nice. And like, if you look at that situation, you would have expected more so problematic behaviour from the second dog because, you know, it's seen isn't it ran for us, but his recall, fantastic. Dog wasn't even reactive on the leash. It was just super chill. So much so that I was able to then bring my dogs up to the main path and just stand and converse like normal people. And it was really good because it showed all the dogs. Not everyone's out to cause a fight. Like not everyone's going to be an issue. And they all just kind of looked at each other and they were fine. And he carried on, and you know, we later heard the doodle run at him because the doodle owners had turned back too. And you heard him being fucking livid about the fact <laughs> that he'd just been ran at by this little dog. <laughs> um, but it was just so nice that our dogs got to at least have a nice experience after such a shitty one. And although they hadn't kicked off or anything, we were just very aware that it could have been a problem. Um, And it shouldn't have to be. I mean, I I really don't think it's hard to ask, like, if somebody steps away, like, you don't follow them. Like, why would you follow a stranger into the woods? Like, is that not, like, personal safety 101? (laughs) I know people let their dogs do it. Like, it's fucking insane. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) nuts. So, sorry, back back on track again. (laughs) When we're talking about using alternative behaviours and we're using, like, other skills and other, you know, sports, etc. That leads us to the next problem. Where do you learn these things? Like, where do you learn them? (laughs) So, like, your dog trainer that you're working with should have a few things in the bank that they can do. Like, some basic sniffing stuff or some basic, basic scent work. But if they don't, or if you're going this alone and you're doing it through your own research online, you're using podcasts, you're using YouTube, you're using blogs, it's really good to know some places to learn these sorts of skills. So my first recommendation is always going to be the FENZY Academy. I don't think you can really get better than FENZY when it comes to learning fun stuff to do with your dog and taking in the emotional context as well. FENZY would always kind of be my first recommendation for that. What about you? Uh yeah, you stole my first recommendation too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: That's okay. Um, so I love I love all of Denise Fenzy's courses. Um and her books are great. Um so that would be my starting point too. But there's also things like um there's a lot of free re- resources out there too. And obviously you have to be careful sometimes um with, with what you use and stuff. But there's um there's a Trick Dog UK Facebook group if you're in the UK. Um, and you can, you can take it quite seriously and you can work through the trick dog levels, um, and get certificates and all that sort of stuff. But you also can just do it as a bit of fun. Um, and that does, there is things like teaching a pause up, like I mentioned, which is the dog putting their paws up on, on objects, which I use quite a lot on my walks. Um, things like your peekaboo or your middle. Um, side positions, even like the start of heel work, you'll get all of that in sort of trick dog type courses. Um, So that would be another go-to if you're doing it on your own. Something like that would probably be really helpful. And it's not until you start doing it that you figure out what's useful for your dog. So as I say, Cooper loves a middle or a -a peekaboo. Similar to Holly, um, Cooper's behaviours that have been difficult in the past have been fear based um whereas Travis's I'd say are more frustrations nowadays so um Cooper loves the middle I think it makes him feel safe he feels connected and feels protected and all that um Travis likes more active and movement based behaviors like your paws up or jumping for his ball and things like that so I would just encourage people to have a play around with it see what your dog likes and see which ones you can take outside and have some fun with
1: most definitely and I think as well there's so many dog trainers now starting up like mini academies so you've got like remember when we done I done the of canine science I done a scent work course we done scent for six. You mm-hmm. see the amount of dog trainers off the back of that over covid especially that launched like little courses online um mm-hmm. for basics of scent work it was fantastic I think as well with with the um online academies they're a huge selection and I think it's always mindful that you can learn from anyone and you can take what you learn and you can choose what you apply so there's also other academies there's like Obsidian Academy who are balanced trainers but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be good at teaching set mark that doesn't mean that they're not going to be good at teaching tracking and obedience you just got to take from that what you will and it does come down to your own ethics if you can do that or not but I'm very much of the opinion that I can learn from nearly anyone and everyone's got something that they can teach you whether it's something that you choose to carry forward and use or not is completely your choice but I don't like to rule anyone out because I would hate that to be the other way around. I can't learn from Fenzi because I like to use an e-caller well that's bullshit like you've always got something that you can learn so I think just being mindful as to what your personal boundaries are and taking it from there, you can learn so much and a lot of providers are just so open to conversation they're so open to looking at ways to suit the dog and I think for me that's the biggest thing in a provider is they have to be willing to make their things suit dogs if they're like nope you can only do it this way and this is the only way I don't want to work with them that's fucking that's not on because I have three dogs and they all learn differently so for me the the bigger red flag is actually trainers that can't bend and mix the way that they work to suit you that's a bigger concern for me and um, but as you say, there's lots of cool trick dog places as well which is good fun there's lots of little scent work courses and there's like millions of books on amazon like so many books even on like um youtube you've got so many dog trainers out there like um kiko pup that has fantastic tricks videos that teach you from the ground up and um, so yeah i think tricks are a really good place to start um And I really like to go for, I like personally the more kind of scent work or the more predation substitute training. But realistically, once you start engaging with your working dog, they're going to stop looking for work realistically, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. But I think that's probably a good place to leave it. We said a lot there. <laughs> so <laughs> we have we really have. So as always, we really appreciate any feedback and your own experiences. We absolutely love to hear them and we won't share them unless you see that we can share them. So no, we love conversing about this on social media. So thanks for listening. Well, that's has reached the end of the episode already. Dog training is forever evolving and we strive to keep an open mind and the dog's at the centre of everything that we do. You can find us across social media platforms using our tag at House of Herders and we would love for you to join in that conversation with us. Until next time, bye!